This is the Rise Up Doyans podcast with your host, Yvette Cook-Darby. Welcome to this episode of Rise Up Doyen. If you're with us for the first time and you're wondering, what's a doyen? Well, it's quite simply an accomplished, sophisticated woman, a leader who's operating at the top of her game. She's been around a while. Maybe she was a trailblazer, but she has a plethora of knowledge and wisdom to share with our listening audience. I'm Yvette Cook-Darby. I'm the founder and creator of Rise Up Doyens, which is really all about helping women lift women and helping women rise to that next level so that we're all maximizing our performance. I think we need more women in the C-suite. I think we need more women entrepreneurs. And personally, I just have a desire to see women do phenomenal things and have phenomenal accomplishments. So as you tune in, you're going to hear from some amazing doyens who've done just that. And it's my wish that by listening to their stories, you'll be inspired. And we have a spectacular guest with us today. Joining us in the Ladies' Lounge studio is Carisha Moore. Carisha, welcome. Thank you. I am so happy to be here. Well, we're very, very excited to have you with us today. I wanted to have Carisha on the show because I think she's, well, first of all, she has an amazing, compelling story. She lives her passion, but it's been an interesting journey, right, Carisha? It yeah. has with you know, lots of turns, but uh, I think ultimately I ended up where I was supposed to be. And I think that is so critically important for so many women who are on the path to success is we may not always end up where we think we're going to be, right? That's right. And sometimes we start out going in one direction and we make a shift or a change. And, and I know I've done that in my own career and really in my life in general. And I'm just curious, let's just go back kind of to the beginning for you. Now, you're college educated, correct? Yes, I am. Graduated um, from the University of Florida three times. So three times? Three okay, times. okay. do tell. Three, we have a three-time graduate. Right. Bachelor's, master's, and then I went back to law school, so I have a JD. That's fantastic. So when you were there initially working on your, um, your bachelor's, what were you studying? I came in as a psychology major. Um, I look back at my high school yearbook, and there's a little section where you write where you see yourself in 20 years. And I wrote I was going to be Oprah Winfrey's consulting psychologist for the Oprah Winfrey show. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I like that. Hey, you had a vision. I had a vision, right? Um, and so I went in as a psychology major, probably did two years of psychology classes. And then I found out that I would need to go straight through to get my Ph.D. in order to be a practicing psychologist. And me being 19, I didn't see myself doing five to six more years of college at that time. So I said, oh, no, I got to change this. Let me figure out what else I can do. And back then we had a catalog. So I went and flipped through the catalog. A catalog. Yes. Wow. Do you remember the catalog? I remember those days. Absolutely. <laughs> and occupational therapy. Didn't quite know what it was. <laughs> but I said, oh, this sounds interesting. So I changed my major to occupational therapy. And I should have known something was wrong when I took physics and couldn't understand what in the world was going on there. But I continued, persevered, being the kind of goal-oriented person that I was. Um, And one of the things you had to do was volunteer at an occupational therapy clinic. Okay. Like an internship? Really, like an internship. So I interned at the hand therapy clinic. 
The hand therapy clinic. Right. Okay. Now, this is the person who didn't take her own shot by herself until she was 18. Um, I was the kid that would run out of the doctor's office when it was time to get <laughs> shots, and I certainly did not like blood. The first day I was there, I remember a lady came in all bandaged up, and they unbandaged her, and nerves were showing in her arm. And I was just thinking, why am I here? But I continued, and I would have to dip, dip people's hands in paraffin and rub and massage their hands and tape them. And I'm like, oh, my God, what am, what am I doing? But I kept going. Well, it was time for my supervisor to complete my form that would allow me to actually apply for occupational therapy school. So she said, OK, leave it here. Come back and pick it up next week on your last day. Picked it up. It was in an envelope. Told her, thank you for the experience. Walking out of the therapy clinic, opening up the envelope. And at the bottom, it said, I do not recommend Carisha for occupational <laughs> therapy school. <laughs> Wow. Okay. So, so, so Krisha, how'd that make you feel? I cried. That was the first time I had been denied for anything in my life, I believe. So I called her and I said, I need to meet with you and talk to you, you know, and met with her. And she said, I just don't think this is for you. She said, you know, you're a great person, great personality, but this is just not for you. And I can tell it. I've been in this business for a long time. Okay. Went back to the catalog. What, what else can I major in? Well, I took a long walk to the education building, went in and talked to someone and said, okay, what about educational psychology or counseling? Ended up becoming an education major. Absolutely loved it. It was supposed to be where I was. I enjoyed those last two years, even signed up to do a master's that following year. Um, and it was just a great experience. I was with young people and that's what I've always, always done. You know, even my entire life, I was in middle school with mentees. Wow. And when you look back on your life and you say, oh, my gosh, I've really been doing this my whole life. I knew everything happened the way it was supposed to happen. So let me ask you a question. When you were going into college, I know when I was going into college, there really wasn't a counselor or anybody to talk to me about my purpose or my passion or what I was interested in. What did, did I mean, I'm assuming that if there had been someone, you probably would not have gone the occupational therapy direction. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I don't remember ever really having that conversation. I remember, again, saying I'm going to be a child psychologist because I knew I loved working with young people, even as a teenager. Um, The last year of high school, I remember I was just going to work like the last three periods. I don't think I had to take classes. Well, they say, oh, there's an internship. And this is how funny things are. There's an internship program and you can go and intern. And they put me in a classroom. But I'm like, oh, I'm just going to be here. I definitely don't want to be a teacher. But look wow. at what happened. Wow. Um, so, no, no one had that conversation with me. I remember I received a Delta Sigma Theta scholarship. And I don't know why, but I put general, I was going to major in business administration when I went to college. And they announced it when I won the scholarship. And my mom said, since when are you going to major in business administration? <laughs> but that's to show I had no real directions. It was just little things that I was hearing here and there that I think I was just trying to hold on to. Or trying to figure it trying out. Trying to figure it out. So so let's fast forward to the JD. How did that come about? Um, so I taught for a few years after I graduated in Naples, Florida. Um, and I was in a very affluent community. In fact, my school sat in the middle of a million dollar golf community. 
Okay. Yeah. And when I got there, they said, okay, we're going to have you teach at this school for three days a week, and then you'll be in Immokalee, Florida, two days a week. I had never heard of Immokalee, grew up in Miami, which was an hour and a half away from my school. And once I stepped foot into that town, I mean, if I dropped you off, Yvette, there, you would have thought I put you in a developing com- country. Like the third world? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it was poverty stricken. But those young people in that school, they needed much more than just the academics. They needed someone to help them with exposure, opportunity, and access. And I learned that very quickly. So I taught a few more years and I said, you know, I think I really want to go fight for equity in education. And that's how I ended up going to law school. But the interesting thing is I went to my mentor to do a recommendation letter and he said, Carisha, this is great. And I think you'll kill it in law school. But I really think you need to get your Ph.D. in education. And I said, no, Mr. Robinson, I am not writing a dissertation. (laughs) And two bar exams later, you know, here I am. But it. It just goes to show that even when you make a turn that you think is best, you always end up where you're supposed to be. So you had a mentor. So I'm curious, when did, at what point in time did you get this mentor or did you figure out you needed a mentor? It just sort of happened. You know, he actually um, gave me my scholarship to attend college. Uh, Mr. Robinson was from California and he was at the University of Florida and his job was to bring more diversity to the school. Uh-huh. Um, and I think he got it up maybe to 4% at that time. And I worked for him and he was just one of those people. When you sat down with him, he just imparted so much wisdom and you felt comfortable going and talking to him about your life decisions. But not only that, he would ask you how things are going and give you his suggestions. So it just happened that way. I worked for him all through undergrad as well as graduate school. So I'm just curious really quickly, were there any female mentors early on in your career? In my career, yes. Well, at, well, in, in your journey. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, there was Miss Perry in Naples. Okay. And I remember I would uh, go to her classroom every day after school. And I tell young people, I said, there's so much to learn from people who have experience. Sometimes I would just sit there and watch her set up her classroom mm-hmm. the day before. So here I am, a new teacher. And I would think, oh, I'll just get in early and set up. <laughs> you know, she stayed every day after school. And just set everything up. So when she came in in the morning, it was already ready. And I just picked up little things like that, hearing her speak to parents, hearing her speak to other teachers, her professionalism, just glean that from her. She didn't always have to give me explicit lessons. Right. But you were observing her. Observing her. And learning. Absolutely. So let's go back to this this JD. So you went to law school, Mm -hmm. passed the bar, and then what? I got my first job. Okay. Right. Um, And this is the interesting thing. It was working for legal services. And guess what, Yvette? I made more as a teacher than I did as a lawyer. You made more as a teacher than you did as a lawyer? Yes. Okay. Now, I'm I'm, I'm kind of flabbergasted right now because I think the average person would think you would make more as a lawyer. Yes, that's right. But you were just starting out. I was just starting out. I worked for, it was a nonprofit. Okay. Legal services is a nonprofit. Um, It was 2007. The recession was we were in the middle of that recession right. um, and it was, you know, the law firms weren't paying like they were. But I also knew I didn't want to do the law firm. Route, oh, OK. The so, big law firm. Uh, so you didn't want to do the law firm route. You, right. you were thinking you wanted to work in legal aid. Well, or... I was thinking I would be a lobbyist or oh, an education lobbyist. consultant oh, okay. or but I knew I still needed some of that 
experience, right? That litigation experience. Right. So I chose legal services, good quality of life, et cetera. Um, and I will say during law school, I started thinking, oh, I can do trust in estates. They make a lot of money. Seems pretty easy. You still work with people. <clears throat> but sometimes what happens is when you start to drift off of what your purpose is actually supposed to lead you to, you'll get a message that says, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, just a a little rod to push you back Mm -hmm. on path. Mm -hmm. And what happened is my last semester, I enrolled as an independent study for African-American studies in the law. And we looked at constitutional law cases from the perspective of African-Americans in America. And it really gave me my charge as I was exiting law school. This was my last semester to to realize that, you know what, we our African-Americans were never supposed to be considered as citizens here. We weren't supposed to be educated. We couldn't read. It wasn't, we weren't supposed to read. We had to sneak and read. And so that helped me to realize that, no, this is what you're supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. Don't get, you know, um, don't get set off course with all the little shiny diamonds and glitter. And so (laughs) for me, that kind of changed um, what it is that I wanted to do. I said, no, I'm not going to the big firm. I know exactly what I'm supposed to be doing, and that's what made me. But in reading your bio, did you not end up at a big firm? I did (laughs) (laughs) for a brief time. And again, how long? How long did you stay? Two years. Two years. Two years. um, And working 78 hours a week. How many? 78. Um, I remember one time pretty much uh, because I, I worked about 30 minutes from home. Worked until about midnight, had to be back in at about six in the morning. We were finishing up a case. And I had a friend that lived downtown to go to Target and buy me some clothes and underwear so that I can just crash on her couch because she was closer to my office. And then I could just get back up. So this was prior to husband and children? This was, I have a husband and one son at this time. Oh, wow. Yes. Wow. So, so it's, I'm calling, hey, I'm not going to be home tonight. Wow. So quality of life oh, yeah. must have been right. very challenging for you. Right. So so let's just talk about what precipitated you deciding to walk away from the law firm. Talk to us about that. Like I said, I always knew I wanted to help young people. Um, but I said, oh, well, I'm helping young people as a divorce attorney because I left big firm, went to a smaller firm was a family law attorney, which I loved, right? I helped counsel people. So it had that psychological aspect to it. But once I started getting on this board and that board and mentoring, and I looked at my billable hours and I'm like, oh, shoot, (laughs) 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 I got to crank it up and stay out of the community a little bit more. And that, and that's when I knew, okay, I have to start making some changes. And it didn't happen immediately. It took about a year. Um, I prayed about it a lot. I got little messages from here and there. And then when I started pulling up to my office and sitting in my car for 10 minutes, not really wanting to go in, I knew it was time for me to make a change. And that's when I started sort of um, actively taking steps to do that. So what came after the law firm? I resigned twice. Okay, so So does that mean they wouldn't take it the first time? Well, sort of, right? I resigned once and they said, okay, well, we'll let your clients know that you'll be back because I just had my daughter. So she was about seven months. And I said, well, okay, we can do that. Um, And then a partner from one of the other offices called and said, hey, 
come work for me. I'll give you any schedule you want. I'm like, ooh, okay, that sounds interesting. I'll do that. Not And knowing that was not where I was supposed to be, right? You know when it's time for you to move on. But I had to step back in the boat, as I call it. And went, worked Monday through Wednesday, 9 to 2, dropped my son off, picked him up. I mean, life was beautiful. But six months later, I just knew I was right back at that same place before I resigned before, you know, knowing that this is not where I'm supposed to be. So this time the conversation was, it's not you, it's me. I have to leave. I don't know why. I don't know what else is out there because they kept saying, well, where are you going to work? What are you going to do? Right. I don't know. I did. I truly did not know, but I knew I had to leave. And I just knew instinctively that my opportunity was not going to come until I cut ties with what it is that I was doing. So let me ask you this. You, um, you were still trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. You knew that you had a passion for children and youth and you wanted to help people. But were you thinking, my gosh, I've made this investment, went to law school. Am I really not going to use it? Talk to me about balancing that decision in your head. I was resentful. <laughs> you know, I, I regretted going to law school at that point. Wow. And I had to come to terms with the fact that that was a part of my journey. Oh, part of the journey. Okay. You know, yeah. I said, oh, and I even thought back to Mr. Robinson, maybe he was right. I should have just, you know, gotten a PhD or I didn't even really need this degree to do what I really want to do. Why am I doing this? But I will say it has opened so many doors. Law school changes you forever. You don't think the same. So the tools and the skills and the strategies that I need right now for the work that I'm doing I wouldn't have gotten here without it. I can tell you that. I wouldn't have gotten here just being an educator. And there's nothing against that, but I just know the level of thinking and the ability to kind of critically analyze situations, that came as a result of law school. So with that little nugget, let's, let's let our listening audience know, where are you now? Where has this journey taken you to this point? I am now serving as interim president and CEO of Usher's Nuva which is Usher Raymond's um, Leadership Youth Foundation. We found it 19 years ago, and we work with young people ages 14 through college to help them to become successful, passion-driven leaders. That sounds amazing. So here's my question. Are you walking in purpose, and are you living in purpose? I can say without a doubt that I am. And I, I know that I am because even when things get tough, and, and look, I thought once I got with Usher's New Look, everything was going to be hunky-dory. Or once <laughs> once I left the law firm, I'm like, oh, I'm being obedient. I'm on my path, my path now. Everything's going to be smooth sailing. It's not, right? I mean, you still have home, life balance, challenges at work, whatever the case may be. But at the end of the day, when I get a note from a young student that says, thank you, I wouldn't have gotten to this Ivy League college for graduate school without you, you know, or in their terms, they call me the plug. Right. That which means that I've helped them attain some sort of opportunity. And to bring it full circle, when I think about I'm working with an organization that I can go back to and say, this is what my students in Immokalee needed. I know without a doubt I'm working in purpose. That That's fantastic. So I have. Um, so along your journey, I know that you've made some shifts and some turns and. In our listening audience, we have other professional women like yourself that are listening. And then we have some younger professional women that we refer to as rising doyens. These are our rising superstars. 
What words of wisdom from your journey? Is there anything specific that you can think of that you want to share with them? Um, Words of wisdom or even any decisions perhaps that you made that you might have made differently? So there are two things that I can think of. Um, One, listen to that voice within you. I call it God's spirit. People may call it other things. Is that like the intuitiveness? Your your Mm -hmm. intuition, right? Um, Sometimes you may have to do things that other people don't understand. But if you know that's what you're supposed to do and you get that message and you hear it over and over, you need to do it. When I left the law firm for the second time, there were certain people that I could not tell. My mom was one. She didn't find out until two months later because she thought like probably everybody else, you've made this huge investment. How are you just going to leave? I had one friend that said, I know you want to help kids, but can't you just write a check? You know, um, but I had to listen to what I knew to be the right thing. And sometimes when you're younger, you don't know if it's just you kind of telling yourself what you want to hear or if you're truly being led by a higher power. And I can say without a doubt that once you start listening to that voice and you see things start to work out, you become stronger and it doesn't take as long for you to make that next step. So that's the first thing, listen to that voice. And the second thing is be a good steward over the gifts that you have, the talents, don't squander them. Look back over your life and see what is it that I have been good at my entire life? What is it that I've gravitated towards? I tell people all the time, I was the kid on my block in Miami, 177 Terrace, that could get all of the kids on my block together, (laughs) get them to give me their spare change, and we would put it in a cheese doodle can, and I would pull them together for these meetings, and I'm using air quotes here, and then we would go and spend the money on whatever, you know, but I've always been leading you. So you were leading. Yeah. So you had leadership skills even with your peers Absolutely. early on. And it's really interesting because I think that there are people that um, either know what their passion is and others stay kind of in search of their passion. What advice do you have for people in terms of helping to figure out and hone in on what that passion is earlier on versus later on? I, I think you start looking at what it is that you love to do. Yeah, that's you what know? I say. <clears throat> we're in the we're in a time now where you can find there's a job for everything, and if there's not, you can create. You can a make business. one. I know. I love. That's the one thing I love about the millennials. Right. It's like if they don't see the job out there, they create, create it. it. And you can do that with things that you love to do. So I, I think that's how you get to true happiness. Really, I remember Oprah Winfrey saying when she was younger. Her teachers would tell her mom, that's a talking girl you have there. <laughs> Little did they know, right? That she would end up having a career, a successful career. Absolutely. Talking. Yep. Right? 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 I think that's fabulous. So, so Krisha, just shifting a little bit, what do you think is, you know, when we look, or look around us today and there's so much happening in the media, there's the Me Too movement, um, there's this kind of resurgence of women rising up kind of together. What do you think um, as women we need more of today? What's going to help us be more successful? Creating that community with one another is important. I think women feel like they have to do it all. 
Mm. and they have to get it right. Right. We do. And we carry um, a huge burden for sh- of shame if things don't, if the optics of things aren't looking the way we uh, think they're supposed appearances. to. Appearances. How does this Keeping look to everybody up? else? Absolutely. Yeah. And that keeps us from living and speaking our truth so many times. But building a community of women that you can trust and that you can share things with, um, I think helps alleviate that burden. Sometimes you just need that girlfriend to say, look, I don't have it all. I have laundry up and down my hallway, <laughs> you know, and then she'll say, well, guess what? There's a pickup laundry service that you can use, so you don't have to do it all. Or I'm having this issue at work. You know, even if you are the CEO, I have this issue at work and I need some to seek some counsel. It doesn't mean you're not a leader or you're a weak leader. No, that's why. Oh, absolutely. I mean, as, as an executive life coach, I I say all the time, even as a coach, a coach needs a coach. I have a coach, even though I have, you know, I spend a lot of time and I have a business where I coach other people. Mm -hmm. So if you're a younger woman, um, either an entrepreneur or just starting out, say you're maybe three, four years into your career, how do you go about creating this community? I mean, especially if you're not working in an environment where it happens naturally. Any suggestions for how to find one or create one? Absolutely. There are meetups that you can sign up for and you can find a meetup for everything. You know, take somebody with you so that they can scope it out as well. Um, I remember when I was sort of in between law practice and work, I found, and this is just through Google searches, I um, create a forum where I would meet with these group of creatives. I'm not really creative, but I was doing some writing at the time. And they would meet over at a photo studio, have tacos, and bring in different speakers and have networking opportunities. So I say you have to look for those opportunities with Eventbrite. It's easy to find. You can Google and say, just say you're a graphic designer and you're freelancing. Graphic designer networking opportunities. Those opportunities will come up. And now you just have to take the next step to to go and find that community. So um, I'm going to really, really shift here. So you're also an entrepreneur. I am. So, you know, the thing I love about the modern woman is we're not bound into a box of one thing or even two things. We have, um, I call them projects. What do you call them? Projects. <laughs> <laughs> so, so talk to us about. Or about side hustles. Side hustles. I know, right? right? My dad used to always say, have a side thing going on. So talk to us a little bit about your latest entrepreneurial endeavor. I'm, I'm really excited about it because I went online and, 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 and acquired a t-shirt. So talk to us about it. So that thing that I was talking about, uh, being a good steward over your ideas, that's what I've been, I've been taking that lesson in. And I, and I got it from a book called Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. Um, and so I was having a conversation with a friend and we were just, again, having that community, right? Talking about how you get to a certain point and you just don't make excuses as a woman for what your decisions are or what it is that you say or do. And I literally said, yeah, it's like, cause I'm a grown woman. And I'm like, that's a shirt. I love it, love it, love it. And here's what I love. How many times are you with your girlfriends and somebody says something and you're like, that's a shirt. That's a shirt. But you made it into a shirt. I called the graphic designer that I work with regularly on the way back to the office from lunch. And I said, I'm going to send you an idea tonight because I did that so that she would be waiting on it. That was my accountability. (laughs) I couldn't chicken out. Right. I love that. And I just sent her the phrase and I said, this is the idea. 
knew someone who printed shirts and I took it right to her and I just started it. And I started wearing them and then I got some girlfriends. We did a photo shoot, which was awesome. And I just started, I, you know, got an Instagram page. I didn't know what I was doing, but I said, I'm just going to start taking steps. And I will tell you what I've also learned. Once you start taking steps, things come to you to help you make it happen. And so I'm selling grown women t-shirts and I've come up with other sayings. There's one, you know, the um, show Insecure. Mm-hmm. So this shirt has sort of the silhouette like that brand poster and it says I'm secure. Oh, so it's that. all for, it's for grown women. The I shirts love are for it. Grown women. I love it. So how, do, how does one get a hold of one of these shirts? Yes, I have an Etsy shop, Grown Woman Tees, or you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook, Grown Woman Tees. I love this. So, Krisha, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for spending this quality time um, with us and our audience today. And and one of the things I'm going to ask you as we close here is, you've already given us a little bit of wisdom, but is there any doyen magic? Um, you're just phenomenal. I mean, what you do day in and day out and helping young people find their purpose and passion and being an entrepreneur and being a, a mom and a wife extraordinaire. It's like you, you really um, illuminate this super woman persona. So any parting words about being this super woman, any doyen magic that you want to leave our listening audience with? Absolutely. I would say define success for yourself. Don't let others define it for you. You mentioned I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I have my t-shirts, you know, none of that has thrust me into the hall of fame for anything or, you know, made me a millionaire yet. Right. But I'm successful in my own right. And, and I'm happy. And that to me is success. You can't look at other people's highlight reels and compare them to your behind the scenes. And that's, you know, that's sort of the age we're in now. So I would say, come up with your own definition of success. And once you've achieved that, you be happy with it. Don't allow other people to define success for you. Well, thank you again. Carisha Moore was our special guest today on Rise Up Doyens. And and Carisha, I think, left us with a lot of things to think about and ponder, living on purpose and finding your purpose and understanding that that success for you is yours. It's personal. You own it. I think that's amazing um, wisdom nuggets. So thank you so much for sharing that with us today. And thank you for tuning in and to listening to us. And I hope that you found doses of inspiration today to help you on your journey to success in life. At the end of the day, Rise Up Doyens is all about women lifting other women. So thank you for tuning in and listening to us. We'll be in touch soon. You've been listening to the Rise Up Doyans podcast with your host, Yvette Cook-Darby. To learn more, go to riseupdoyans.com. That's riseupdoyans.com. Follow the Rise Up Doyans podcast on Twitter and Instagram at RUD Podcast. The Rise Up Doyans podcast is a production of the Castropolis Podcast Network.